Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the state of the gaming industry. Uh, before we do that, Buddy, watch the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about games, uh, and we're going fully broad for this one, right? We're not talking about we're not talking about just like one one individual game. We're talking about the whole ass industry. It's 2022, start of a new year. Where are we at when it comes to you know video games and um, well and and what the industry looks like? To be fair, this is catalyzed by the announcement that Microsoft is buying. Uh, yep, this is Activision indeed Blizzard. catalyzed by the gigantic, like monumental news that Activision Blizzard, in the in the wake of all of this, you know, drama and scandal about Bobby Kotick, um, and the different kinds of uh, you know sexual harassment that has been uh, like levied against the company, are being acquired by Microsoft in cash for seventy billion dollars. <laughs> So, um, something that I think is very interesting about that that was pointed out to me by uh, a different podcast I listened to called um, uh, uh, Virtual Legality is that that price is approximately what the company was worth before the stock dipped after the scandal broke. So, this is... Yeah, there's some additional reporting that said that the news actually... The, like, the the this deal started taking place before the scandal. Um and, uh, but the, you know, uh, apparently Bobby Kotick said that he wanted to keep Activision. He wanted to fend off, uh, this acquisition, um, and even sort of shopped the idea around. But by that point, the scandal had broke and he had so little leverage and power among the board of directors, um, that he really didn't have any other offer. All that comes from, uh, Jason Schreier, by the way. Okay. That's, that's super interesting. Cause, cause traditionally Bobby Kotick, I haven't seen that, but traditionally Bobby Kotick has been a very strong CEO, right? Like the board basically stood behind him. Um, when he was like, no, this is all bullshit. Um, yeah. So the, the quote, I, I want to make sure that I'm getting all this information correct so that we're not spreading any misinformation. The quote from Jason Schreier says, in an interview, uh, Kodak said the deal has nothing to do with the controversy surrounding Activision or calls for him to step down and that Spencer reached out to him last year, which makes sense. Um, uh, a person familiar with discussions who was not authorized to speak publicly said Microsoft looked at Activision's situation, given all the negative attention and pressure on Kodak and would be w and wondered if the beleaguered CEO would be willing to do a deal. Kodak initially didn't want to to sell, according to another person familiar, familiar with the talks, and also put the word out to see if any other company would outbig Microsoft. But at that point, Kodak had little leverage with his board amid the ongoing public scrutiny with the company. So, yeah, there you go. Okay, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's kind of believable. Like, in, in oh, and by the way, ways. to correct this, this is Jason Schreier repeating information from another reporter, uh, Dinah Bass or Bass. I don't know. Okay. But I just see that that's the person who this quote comes from. Okay. Uh, interesting. I, and the, the other thing there is you always have to take, you know, the person familiar with the situation but unauthorized stuff with, like, a grain of salt, um, mm. um, which is understandable. But, like, you know, it, 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 yeah. regardless, right, it's, it's huge news. Uh, it's, a, it's, an it's, it's like an amazing acquisition for Microsoft. Microsoft has Bethesda and Activision Blizzard um, uh, and uh, – bunch of other smaller studios um i think something somebody said that like if when this finalizes in 2023 um all those studios that, that ab has will like bring their total up to 30 um under microsoft which is nuts um but yeah uh i guess i guess what, what are your initial thoughts th thoughts about it Since this is kind of like the the piece du jour right like this also comes in the wake of zynga or zynga being acquired or 
acquisition announced by Take Two, right? So, so for all the people at home that don't necessarily follow the minutiae here, these are term sheets that have been agreed to, and they have to go through process, which includes legal process, right? Which potentially includes, um, uh, I think it's FTC action that could potentially block the the acquisition. Um, uh, if it's uh, if it's too uh, anti-competitive, if you want deeper dives on those kinds of things, um, I would again highly recommend Virtually Out Legality. Uh, the guy who runs that podcast, Richard Hogue, is like is a business lawyer effectively, and his bread and butter is mergers mm. and acquisitions at a, at a smaller scale. But he knows the ins and outs of that, so he can give it all the, give the rundown on, on the, the the legal. Yeah, side I, of that. so the thing that is interesting to me personally is how much of this is recent, right? So. Something that I did is I went to the Wikipedia page for the lists uh, or the list of mergers and acquisitions by Microsoft. And you can sort by video games, right? And you can see that over the course, you know, of the company, they have they've acquired maybe twenty or so, um, you know, games. So not not an insane amount, right? But just that you know, when it comes to when it comes to um, video game companies, Microsoft has picked up plenty, right, over the course of um over the course of its lifetime but the crazy thing is how many of these are recent right so since 2018 they've picked up ninja theory undead labs compulsion games and playground games uh and in exile and obsidian right so that's six studios that was in 2018 four of those were all announced on the exact same day two of those on on the same day one in june the other in november then in 2019 they picked up double fine productions right tim schaefer's studio um famously the psychonauts <coughs> the psychonauts studio then in 2020 they pick up bethesda zenimax media then 2022 now now they have activision blizzard and it's just like this to me just seems like a ramp right where Microsoft is kind of seeing the the blood in the water around the the PS4 kind of out you know outselling and just being the stronger system in that generation of the console wars of the PS4 and the Xbox One um, and adding a bunch of like raw power to its lineup right um, and obviously Microsoft has had big acquisitions from before then right you know Rare was a huge one they acquired Rare in 2002 um, Lionhead Bungie. Studios the the Fable Studio yeah Bungie was in was in 2000 Mojang was in 2014 um, Mojang I mean that news I remember was also Titanic right yeah. because they got Mojang for 2.5 billion dollars um, which everyone thought was an insane amount of money right but now they're willing to shell out 70 million dollars or 70 billion dollars for activision blizzard kind of at the drop of a hat is a little nuts yeah i mean so uh, again another thing to point out there is we're calling it activision blizzard but it's activision blizzard king and that mm -hmm. third name is probably a big part of this right this, this is i think that third name well. is the most important part of this actually i think if i'm if i'm you know if i'm phil phil specter right spencer i'm pitching i'm sorry phil spence spencer um and I'm pitching this acquisition to, you know, the Microsoft board. <coughs> the number one thing I'm saying is we've picked up a lot of good stuff, right? Bethesda is really strong. These, you know, stuff like Obsidian, Double Fine, these, these development studios are really strong, right? But the number one thing that we're missing when it comes to games is mobile, right? Um, and so much of the mobile market share is dominated by the king in Activision Blizzard, King, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, getting one of, if not necessarily, we don't really know the numbers behind who's the, what's the biggest MMO right now, but you know, getting World of Warcraft, getting Call of Duty, getting the biggest shooter, like those are those are powerful, you know, like engines, right? Um, but I think the thing that would sell this 
is king is yeah. getting uh candy crush candy crush saga all of the all of the uh other pieces of that business i i wonder if the take two announcement like kind of put like fire under the ass of, of this deal right it's like like that's the other big mo- like so mobile's very weird space as far as i understand it and i i'm mm. not i'm not an expert on this but my understanding is that like 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 Something like 85 – it's like a standard Pareto principle thing, right? Like 20% of the games make 80% of the re- revenue or something. And for a long time, it was like the top three games. Um, and so it's – and so there aren't a, a lot of big players. A lot of these are like kind of like one-off studios that got lucky, right? Like famously the Flappy Bird guy just like was driven crazy by his success. Um, yeah. Uh, and so – like, I don't even know who else is in that space. Maybe it's me being ignorant, but it's, like, Zynga and King and, like, I don't know who else. Right? Oh, I, well, I see, I think the other huge player in this field is Tencent. Um, oh, the number yeah. one mobile game actually is PUBG Mobile, and, and Tencent um, uh, is the, you know, is the owner of that. They also have the... Um, they also have a couple of other games, right? Like, you know, um, <coughs> Tencent famously also has Wild Rift, lead the League of Legends uh, well, mobile they, game. They own a majority stake in, in, in Riot, right? The, so yeah. th- this is part of it, right? It's like Tencent's not an acquirable company, right? Like Tencent is bigger than like anything, right? It's like a, it's like a massive. What? Do, yeah. Chinese, so I, I like, mean, uh, uh, Tencent company. is like Microsoft, right? Like these are. I think it's bigger because it's like it is like a semi-nationalized Chinese company, right? Like so, it's. It's and it's China, right? China is China is enormous, and it's got like state buy-in. So I I, th- I think I'm pretty sure it's like one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, I really I see. I think Microsoft might be the biggest company in the world. I mean, like I don't know. I could be wrong about that. I wonder what the biggest company in the world is. Oh, uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Do okay, more. so the biggest company is actually Walmart. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Um, uh, let's. Wow, where does Microsoft even come in on this? I I really overestimated how big Microsoft was. Apparently, Microsoft is the twenty seventh biggest company in the world, just yeah. under AT and T. Um, but I don't see Tencent anywhere on this list actually, unless it's like. Uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, so um, there's a couple of Chinese companies in here. As I'm as I'm looking at it, right? Um, but they are. It it seems like uh, mostly like utilities. So State Grid is the second largest company in the world, which is just the nationalized uh, electricity power grid for all of for all of China. Um, then China National Soproli- um, uh, Petroleum. Um, and China Petrochemical Corporation, who, you know, uh, are number five and six, respectively. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, part, part of this part of this is me speaking out of turn in that I, I'm not exactly sure how you calculate, like, total valuation, right? Because, like, um, Microsoft, you said it was, like, 20 on... Uh, the, 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 the metric here, by the way, I'm on Wikipedia list of largest corporations by revenue, is revenue. Is like overall revenue, right? So actually, if it's one hundred and sixty-eight billion, it looks like. Um, apparently, okay. Apparently, ten cents is one hundred and forty-two billion. 
Um, and it's really, like, it's, why is that not on this list? Um, I'm looking at 142 billion. I see Glencore. Yeah, I see yeah. China Life Insurance. I see China Railway Engineering Corporation. Um, but I do not see Tencent, which is interesting, uh, at 142 billion. Uh, it says only companies that publish financial data report figures to a government agency. Maybe that data is technically, but it's publicly traded. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Huh. Weird. I don't know. It's also Wikipedia, right? So maybe something's yeah. like out of. Yeah. But anyway, it's a huge company. So you're, you're right. Microsoft is bigger. But it, it is still unacquirable, right? It's big enough that mm -hmm. it's unacquirable. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my point being that, um, that like, there's Tencent, which is, like, already, you know, part of a mega, mega conglomerate. There's Zynga. And then there's and then there's King, right? And so if Microsoft wants to get a mobile arm, it's got to do it, right? Like it like, and so maybe this 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 was like somebody was like, well, I guess we got to pull the pull the the freaking trigger before we get totally shut out of this market. But yeah, to, to something you said earlier about kind of like the Xbox uh, versus PS uh, four, uh, I guess the Xbox One in that generation, um, also combined with like the kind of lackluster launch of the Xbox Series X, um, which was successful, but it's not like as it's not like as, as crazy partially because partially because halo didn't launch with it right and they very quickly yep. changed their messaging to like game pass is their big thing um this drive to acquire game studios like i think kind of fits with that right like um one of the big pivots for microsoft uh when uh when steve Ballmer exited as ceo and um uh, forgive me I, I cannot remember the name nor could i pronounce if i if i remembered the name of the microsoft ceo um uh, I don't actually know offhand. I do remember that it was, uh, uh, but it changed recently. Yeah, effectively, it, part of his his tenureship was pivoting Microsoft to be more cloud based, right? And so, um, and you know, software is what Microsoft's always done, right? Like Microsoft. Okay, like, yeah, it is uh, Satya Nadella is the name of uh, thank you the the current CEO. And he came from, he was the EVP of their cloud and enterprise group, okay, which makes yeah. a lot of sense that's, because yeah. that's where all the money was. Yeah. But like, so, you know, Microsoft has always been a software company, right? It hasn't been like top to bottom like Apple is with, 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 uh, mm -hmm. uh, with, with hardware as well. Um, and so it makes kind of, oddly, it makes sense for Microsoft to be focusing more on software production for gaming, right? And also included with Game Pass, right? It's effectively becoming the Netflix of games, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it makes more sense for them to be doing that than like trying to fight on hardware, which is like a niche niche thing for them, right? Like, uh, Sony Sony has like huge manufacturing arms, right? They do televisions and they do uh, various other sundry other consumer electronics. Microsoft really doesn't. So, um, you know, gobbling up uh, gobbling up software companies while also um, what was it? I think I'm pretty sure Sony announced they were going to do a similar thing to Game Pass at some point. And they've already got mm. a little bit of that with with with. Um, the current Sony um, Gold or whatever, like the 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 the, the, the PS Pass or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's it's their it is their internet service, right? A la Xbox Live. I, I can PlayStation yep. Plus is what it's called, and they have like it doesn't like they had like a streaming service that was like iffy, um, and it wasn't it was like an add on or something, and then PlayStation Plus also gives you like two free titles a month um, and stuff like that. So it's got like pieces of it in there. Um, and I also, I think they did streaming to the Vita from the PS4, the PS3, if I remember correctly, um, as like a feature. So they've got stuff in process there, but it's not it's not ready to go. And, you know, I think the Microsoft game, Ultimate Gaming Pass is still technically in beta, but like you can 
you know, play Crusader Kings off of it or whatever. Um, and, you know, Microsoft having that all in-house makes it much easier to keep on Game Pass, right? Like, so, like Yeah, I think that is the big thing, right? This was something that, you know, it's funny because I actually think the the analog here is Netflix, right? It is like the, the, the sort of war um, between Netflix and Amazon Prime and, you know, any other streaming, Hulu, right? Any other streaming service and traditional, you know, movie and TV production companies, right? Um, like Fox or, you know, Disney or Warner Brothers, right? Um, and historically, the thing for Netflix was they realized... So, okay, so the thing that catapulted Netflix to amazing success is they realized they had the golden goose and nobody else fucking knew it, right? Because but what they did in, like, 2006, 2008 is they realized that people were going to be able to be streaming videos of their, you know, like, of these movies. This was back when Netflix was mostly the mail service, the mail version of the service, right? And what they did was they purchased the rights to the streaming, to streaming for stuff like The Office or whatever, and built up that infrastructure because they expected it to be huge. Um, and it was. And so they were streaming, you know, thousands and thousands of, of, you know, however many hours of The Office that people were watching, like, every minute on the Netflix online platform. And NBC... I think it was NBC. Maybe it was maybe I think it was, I think it was NBC Universal. And NBC Universal basically gave away those licensing rights for nothing, right? Um, because they thought that the thing that was valuable about the office was like a box set, right? The DVD box set. So when they got those licensing rights, it was all packaged together and it was just like, "Oh, the secret here is that the most important piece of the puzzle are the internet streaming rights that, that they picked up. And so for a couple of years in the late 2000s, early 2010s, right, they just had really lucrative, really easy deals. And that's when people sort of caught on. And it was like, oh, okay, actually, I understand what the valuable part of this transaction is for Netflix now, right? Um, which is why we now are living in a world with a bunch of different streaming platforms, all of which have different kind of exclusivity. But the smart thing that Netflix did was they created their own in-house, you know, they created their Stranger Things and The Witcher, right? Um, they started funding their own, the Dragon Prince, their own in-house productions, um, to sort of to sort of compete with that, and now it is Warner Brothers and Disney who are creating their own streaming services to rival them. Right? Uh, Disney has essentially pivoted almost entirely to a Disney Plus model, where they are a they were once a feature film company that would have a streaming arm. They are now a streaming company that has a feature film arm. It feels like, um, and the same thing with you know. Uh, Warner Brothers simultaneously releasing things onto HBO Max and onto uh, onto theaters, which like you know people people shit on them for that decision because by traditional metrics you know their movies are not doing very well they're doing like poorly in theaters or whatever, but HBO Max is all of, is like overnight the most successful like new coming streaming platform right compared to something like um, the NBC one is called I think Peacock right Peacock, or Paramount yeah. Plus or yeah, so Peacock and Paramount Plus have also launched, and those have much lower numbers, right, um, in comparison. And it's like, well, who can really say that Warner Brothers fucked this up when they just got, like, huge market share? Yeah, so so that's actually a super interesting point to bring up because this, this this goes back to their talking point that people have a lot about this this, this a, uh, ABK acquisition. It's kind of like the, the – and this is kind of where we're going with, I think, the uh, discussing the state of the industry is – um, how much this contributes to like Microsoft holding something akin to monopoly power? And in the mm -hmm. first place, I'm going to point out that I think with this acquisition, Microsoft claims it'll be the third biggest games publisher 
in, uh, in the arena. And on top of that, it's also like obviously a very large tech company. So you know, there's other factors there as well. But th this point you bring up about Netflix, I, I think, is ultimately right, right? Like we're, you're going to have the the giants, but I think that this also kind of provides the competitive pressure for like, um, like let's say. Epic Games wants to set up its own game streaming service, right? Like, it's already thrown the shown willingness to throw like absurd amounts of money around to like pick up the, to pick up games individually. Maybe they start picking up studios, right? Like, um, or like larger kind of like publishers that like traditionally just kind of floated over the studios. Maybe they uh, draw them in a little bit closer or set up their own streaming platforms. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, as longtime viewers of the cast will know, I am generally skeptical of uh, of kind of. Uh, of narratives about kind of monopoly power or or whatever, um, but I think mm. I, but I, I think I think we can look to previous streaming experiences, and, I, and I'll admit that there are some differences there, right? Like um, people game, places aren't selling out their rights to Microsoft like they were; they're getting acquired wholesale, so that's that's a notable difference. Do you have any thoughts in, in this kind of in this kind of vein? Uh, I do think that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, you know, like Epic. So Epic is is interesting because Epic is private, right? It is almost it's held by Tim Sweeney. He owns, you know, whatever fifty one percent of the company. He more more than fifty percent of the company, yeah. right? Um, but uh, but Tencent owns the rest of it. Basically, they have the they have forty percent. I think so overall of the like company. 10%. Yeah, I I, I I just just like looked this up, but I didn't actually uh, see okay. the numbers. I just know offhand that Tencent has quite a lot of Epic, <coughs> but there are some like other real big you know contenders, right? Like you know, it seems crazy to me that Valve, for instance, is still like an independent company, right? Like the most major PC gaming platform is this sort of kind of like it, it was just a video game developer that transitioned into a store service and that's fine that's great for valve right that's obviously great for game Newell. but it's just it's a very different um it's a very different like market and a very different approach for uh for someone like them the thing that i that i wonder um is how much games are the same as like movies and tv moving into a streaming service like the idea that you know you might have your amazon prime gaming sub you might have your you know uh, your xbox game pass um you might have you might be making individual purchases on valve you might be making or on steam rather you might be making individualized purchases on um the epic game store or whatever um or if maybe like the the tea leaves aren't going to to break out that way right like there is also a world where the xbox game pass isn't kind of the future of gaming um and uh and things don't materialize in that way. Like so, for instance, I kind of think that Am the, you know, in another in another piece of state of the news, right? Amazon Game Studios has kind of repeatedly flubbed over and over again because their big gaming acquisition was Twitch, which is obviously huge, right? Like Twitch is a gigantic piece of of what what it means to be gaming, right? But like every one of the games that they have made, um, most recently New World, hasn't broken in in the way that you can uh, tell Amazon as a company wanted it wanted it to. I was gonna say like by by like all the other games they've tried to put out, like New World is a success, which is kind of you know uh, a problem, <laughs> um, right? Because like they they had. I, I always I can't never remember the name of the game, but they had a game that they unreleased and they canceled after yeah. they unreleased it, which is like mind blowing, right? Like, but yes, you know, um, you can't just kind of like ship in talent. I think um, um, I, 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 I'm actually super curious as to like what kind of has happened there because like they brought in industry veterans there, right? They didn't just like you know, 
Yeah, I mean, they, they legitimately poached people, right? You know, one of the things that was funny when all of the, the Blizzard news was, was releasing um, earlier this year was how many people got poached out of the Warcraft team. And it was just because Amazon was willing to pay them the money. You know, they were yeah. willing to say, hey, listen, let's make that a six-figure salary. Come work for us kind of thing, right? Um, so, you know what would be really interesting? I wonder if this happened, and, like, you know, this isn't <laughs> me saying that, that Crunch is good because I don't think it is, but I wonder how much of this is, like, Amazon treats its game <laughs> studios like it teaches, treats its normal software engineers, which, you know, I, I live in that space, right? Like, I'm, an, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a mainstream software engineer. Um, basically, if you don't get things done on time, it can be a problem. But, like, you can also just, like, it's not like, it's like most, most things these days are kind of like live services, right? Like, you know, you don't have to worry about um, having, like, like, if something's delayed, it's usually not even remarkable. Um, yeah. And uh, and on top of that, like, you don't have, like, these big kind of, like, chop points, right? Like, like releasing a a, uh, a pared-down version of, of like, a, a business product or, like, a, even, like, just a consumer-level product isn't a huge deal, whereas, like, a pared-down version of a video game is bad, right? Like, yeah. Um, and, you, and, and the crazy thing is that, you know, you typically don't have people sort of hounding for content in the way that you do with it when it comes to video game, right? You know, so, for instance... One of the things that's interesting is um, in a recent forum post on, like, the the WoW forums or whatever, one of the, the designers mentioned that um, they were plan- they were thinking about changing the Frost Death Knight, you know, tier set bonus. But given the amount of time that's left in the PTR cycle, right, they want to release the patch or whatever, they decided they're just going to leave it as is. The current bonus they have is functional. It works. It's not flashy. It could be cooler, but it's fine basically right and on twitter one of the you know like what a player responded to that it was like this is you know this is awful this is terrible right like class fantasy is the most important thing in like warcraft or whatever you should hold the pet like can you imagine right like holding an entire content patch so that one spec out of 36 can get a change two-piece set bonus or whatever right um and part of that and part of that whole you know like apparatus nobody has that kind of conversation about, you know, like, releasing, like, the next functionality update of a random, you know, app application, right? Yeah. You know, I, pr- I probably spend just as much time in Adobe products, right? Like, Adobe Premiere or Photoshop or whatever. But, like, I don't pay attention to the release schedule. I don't know what the fuck is coming in the patch notes of adobe premiere 2022 you know what i mean like it just kind of happens when it happens but with warcraft you know and just as one example all the games do this right any any game people the moment you have eyes on what is over the horizon of the next thing people are going to be paying attention and talking about that and you have this whole ecosystem of streamers and content creators on youtube talking oh what's in the new patch for whatever it is fortnite league you know warcraft any of these huge gaming franchises and i think that is a fundamentally unique thing about video games um when it comes to existing in this in this kind of corner of tech corporations, yeah. Imagine if, like, you know, two weeks after Nine Point Two uh, comes out, they updated <coughs> the, the set bonus to something flashier, right? Like, without any warning, just kind of like, oh, this is a new feature, right? Like, people would, like lose their fucking minds, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's well, true. And you have people complaining about about like the content drought. You know, like nobody nobody is complaining about a content drought when it comes to an Adobe product. My Adobe. 
Premiere 2021 works just fine, you know? And I'm happy to be using it. There's probably bugs in there. There's bugs that I've found. There's functionality that I'd like to see. You know what I mean? But I don't I don't care. There's no there's no content drought for Adobe Premiere, right? But like the minute, you know, you're done with the current raid, right? Or you farmed enough rares in Corthia. Now all of a sudden you're complaining that there's this content drought in like in something like WoW, right? Or you're at the end of a season in League of Legends, right? Or, you know, you're waiting for the next Call of Duty to come out because you know that, you know, it's been six months and you've already gotten your thousand hours in Warzone, you all know, for the season. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, I, I just feel like I feel like that is a completely unique thing when it comes to video games, and it puts so much extra pressure on developers to to get stuff out and get it right. Especially because, and I mean, this is the part that affects me the most. Players don't have a good understanding or window into this, right? You know, because they don't they don't think of, you know. So, for instance, um, when if I make an announcement, right? If I'm going to make an announcement that like something is is delayed, right? or that we're we're not we haven't settled on a like a release date yet. We actually probably have a release date in mind. It's just that we know that these things are flexible, right? And things could change and we don't want to actually nail down when this is going to come out. Because the last thing I want to do is go, "Hey guys, sorry, this is actually going to be 3 weeks later," right? Um but players don't have a great sense for that kind of thing and they don't they, they don't really think of, you know, like the people making the games as you know, in the same way that they would think of a waiter at a restaurant, right? When I when I'm when I'm at a restaurant and there's a waiter there, right? Like I understand that's a that's a person working a job, but for some reason, it, I don't get the sense that people have that understanding of game developers, right? When when uh, they announced on the on the WoW forums that the PTR wasn't going to be updated, you know, like the last PTR build went up on December 14th and it wasn't going to be updated for a couple of weeks. Well, obviously the answer is because it's the holidays, right? And a bunch of people are going to take a bunch of time off to go do the holidays things. But you have people on the forums who are legitimately like, this is bullshit. <laughs> because they don't conceive of, of like game developers as individual people that have jobs. Yeah, I also wonder how much of that is just kind of like, this kind of assumption that there's like some amount of bullshit, some amount of like variable bullshit in between code actually being done and like us seeing it, which is true to a certain a certain extent, right? But like you know, like like I you know this was much more true like when games went gold like back in the you know even though they still do, but like obviously patches <laughs> don't follow that, that same thing. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder how much of those people just being like you know, well the programmers are probably already done. It's just you not like printing. CDs fast enough or whatever, right? Yeah, that, that's also, I mean, you know, for us, it's almost always bug reports, right? Yeah. Or in my experience, right? What, what normally happens is you content lock on a thing. You say, okay, this is the, you know, the patch is solid. Maybe this is a month out or whatever. But then you then you take that final patch and you QA the fuck out of it to make sure that there are no bugs that, you know, aren't going to be hitting live. This is also, and this is just as true um, for big companies, as far as I understand it, as for small companies, right? You know, what tends to happen is you get a PTR buildup and it, and it, and it slowly picks up all of the content of a patch, but then maybe two or three weeks before that patch goes live, there's no more content, right? Maybe there's tuning, maybe there's numbers stuff, but it's not like you are seeing items for the first time, right? All of the items are in the build. It is just now, hey, maybe a couple of these, you know, we, we might tune this up, tune that down. You know, we might, we might scooch around the numbers we might fix bugs in the quests but like all the quests are in there essentially um yeah so, so, so. This, is, this is this is super interesting too because like you know obviously video games don't have any concept of con continuous integration which is like a big thing 
at um at like normal tech companies right which is like you know i write code it passes tests and then it immediately hits production right um really um this is a big thing for like startups because like <coughs> um, okay. at, at bigger companies like uh, like you know a bigger like um you know full disclosure uh, i don't think i've ever said this in the cast but i, I work for google um and mm. like if google search goes down for like more than five minutes it's a news story right so they've got like right much more stringent oh i see around yeah, production. yeah yeah but like um previous companies i've worked at have had continuous integration and it kind of like if there's a problem it's not great but it's fine right like, you have someone on call to like be able to revert changes if, if there's a problem but you don't slow down the pace of production just to, to kind of like maybe catch some of the stuff because a lot of a lot of a lot of like startup cultures kind of move fast and break things type stuff um, yeah uh, but kind of also uh, uh, along those lines um, is is oh, I'm sorry I just I just lost what I was what, what, I, what I was gonna say we were talking about uh, new world no we were, that, we were, that was the genesis of all of yeah, this I yeah guess. yeah we were, we were talking oh the balancing aspect right this is another right. thing that is very unique to games right like in a consumer software product right a new feature is like almost always good like you'll get some bitching about like layout changes or whatever right. But no one is going to get oh, mad yeah. that, like, you know, let's take Photoshop, right? No one's going to get mad that fucking Lasso is more is like OP as compared to like Rectangle Select, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, you could, <laughs> you could make the Death Knight set piece better, probably pretty easily, but like, people will be mad if that makes them like strictly better than, say, like a Rogue or whatever, right? Like, if it makes yeah. them too far, which is like a unique problem, kind of in, in that space. Um, yeah, and and I think that that problem, you know, that you know the the overall consolidation of this stuff is exactly what hit Amazon, right? Um, which was they did move fast and they broke a lot of things, but you could you can't do that in games, right? You know, they they found a gold duping bug, and then they took the game offline to you know stop the gold duping bug from happening and then the fixed version had a completely different new gold duping bug that players immediately found and exploited and now uh, and and the worst part is all of the duplicated gold is entirely in the system now right like it's super saturated and there's just like absolutely no way to to you know to come back from something like that right and the whole foundation of your game can get ruined by you know by that whereas you know it's not like the foundation of my adobe premiere is ever going to get ruined by something along those lines right you know um and and i just think that that is like the that is the the maybe the culprit here for what happened with amazon game studios and new world i also think that part of it is just a philosophy thing right like new world was famously a pvp only you know the the alpha when the or what it was either the alpha or the closed beta as, as, as a PVP only thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the when the alpha or the closed beta, whichever one, went live and it was PVP only, you know, it it got tr the traction that they wanted among like the enthusiasts who say that that's the kind of game that they want. But that that crowd is just a lot smaller than they expected, right? Yeah. And you know, you have a lot of normal people who just want to sit there and like do quests and farm fucking mobs or whatever, right? Um. And uh, and when Amazon tried to pivot to pick those people up, we talked about this in our New World episode, right? Like, they essentially just created a bunch of procedurally generated bullshit that was less fun and interesting to, to deal with, right? Um, and that it turns out it's actually kind of hard and unique to make a good daily or, a, you know, a good world quest, essentially. Um, yeah, like design guy by committee type stuff, right? Like you know, yeah, we, we need we need to pivot to capture the, the the theme park enthusiast, which is like, 
I mean, theme park MMO style is, is what I mean. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe they might have been able to succeed right on the PvP front, right? Like, there are a couple of smaller games in that, like Crowfall is in, is in yep. that uh, is in that space. And you know, it's I think it's surviving. I don't think it's doing gangbusters or anything, but like you know, it's it's going. <laughs> I do. I, I believe it that it's surviving. Um, and I, the reason I believe that it's surviving is because, you know, it's not an Amazon company, right, who's shelling out tons and tons of money to, to make that, like, level of, of product, yeah. right? You know, if you're th- – this is, this is the whole business model for indie games, basically, right? I don't need to, to put out the most popular game on the fucking market, right? When Grime released – and Grime is the biggest game that we've ever released um, – you know, it was at the top of new and trending on Steam for a couple of days, which was, you know, that's huge. That's big for us. And that tends to happen. Anytime we release a game, it tends to be at the top of new and trending for, you know, a couple of days, right? Um, but, the, you know, that's not, a, that's, not a, that's not a gangbusters thing, right? Like, it, being the top of Steam's new and trending page for a couple of days, that's good, obviously. But it's not, it's not breaking the doors down. But when, you know, my company is only a couple dozen people, right? When the development companies are like less than 10 people, right? That 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 is all you need, right? You get there because when when your development costs are so low, you just don't have to make up for all that much in the back end. What 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 happens with some of these AAA, you know, games, especially the AAA games that flop hard, is that these are things that have budgets in like the tens of millions of dollars. Um and if they can't make good on that budget, well, you're kind of you're kind of sol at that point. Yeah, no, I mean like when a game like Hades, um, with a super giant staff of twenty people, sells over a million copies, it's really <coughs> great. And that is me yep. directly calling out friend of the cast Zal <laughs> for for. An well, off- I do actually want to talk a little bit about that because yeah. so the conversation I didn't see this whole conversation, but the conversation was about the nature of competition, right? When it, when it comes to you know the monopoly at the the monopolistic aspect, yeah. right? And you and do you want to just like it, it, what is your point here? When it comes to Supergiant and Microsoft and competition, that makes you feel like Microsoft doesn't have the monopoly that it feels like it is growing. I mean, so, so the, the specific point I was that was being argued was like, um, friend of the cast Zhao sarcastically said something like, "Well, if you don't like it, go build your own company." And it's like, "Well, you can, right? Like, you know, CD Project, <laughs> FromSoft, Supergiant, right? Like, there's like tons of small studios." And there was some point about like how comparable like Supergiant is to like, the, the giant studios. But my my fundamental point is is that Microsoft having all these studios doesn't crowd other other creators out of the market, right? Like, you know, games are not fungible for each other as easily, right? Like, it's, sure. it's, not, it's not like, you know, if, you know, freaking, I don't know, uh, KitchenAid buys Cuisinart, right? Like, you know, that all the kitchen utensils are not going to, like, all the high-end, you know, kind of kitchen uh, tools are gonna, aren't going to have competition anymore, right? Because, like, you know, the the food pro like you know the the food processor and the stand mixers will all come from one source or whatever right like um, and you're only ever buying one of those right like you're buying different games for different reasons right like you will buy two different games at the same time um, for and play them for for different reasons so like you know Bastion does not directly compete with say Call of Duty as such right um, which is yeah what- I mean they I I do think that these things do compete in a micro scale right um, which is that if Okay, so if Hades releases in the same weekend as Call of Duty, those two things are going head to head to a certain extent, 
right? right. Um, there is a certain amount of gamer attention. We could we could we could numeric you could we could put a number to that, which is the sum total of minutes that gamers around the world will be paying attention to gaming news, whether that's on Twitter or wherever else. And that news is going to fuel purchases, and those purchases are are directly competing with one another in that sense, right? But there's also the idea of counter programming, which is like a movie term, which is that you know. Any Friday of the year where a new movie comes out, there are going to be people who want to go see the new Marvel movie, but there are also going to be people who want to go see an adult drama, who are going to want to see a, you know, uh, a kid's movie, who are going to want to see, you know, a horror movie, right? You know, and those people are activated by the presence of those, you know, like of those films, right? So just because, whatever, Spider-Man No Way Home is coming out and is probably going to dominate the box office. Doesn't mean that A24 can't release its latest weird art house movie that same weekend and make a good amount of money because there are people who would only show up to the movies that weekend because of, you know, because of th this this specific need of theirs being serviced, right? In, in other words, while... <coughs> While Hades and Call of Duty might be going head-to-head -head in terms of just, like, raw, you know, like, the raw number of gamer hours being paid attention to by, you know, in, in any given weekend, the overall ex the overall number of those gamer hours expands because Hades is in the picture, right? There are people who do not care about shooters but do care about roguelikes, and they are going to go pick up the roguelike because it is coming out in this in this weekend so i think that and that's a complicated thing that i don't really think has an analogy anywhere else besides in media right because yeah. like it's not like people you know nobody tracks the release of a fork against another fork right you know what i mean most products are are pretty utilitarian compared to compared to media in this way um but in that sense, I do think that, you know, most indie games um, and even most you could make an argument that like most games of kind of different scale and different genres don't actually compete with one another that much. And therefore, you know, Supergiant isn't really, you know, competing all that much with Microsoft yeah, I, because they're kind of targeting different subsets of that huge audience. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can I think you can make like some very specific comparisons. Like I think like Battlefield pretty directly competes with cod like that's one of the classic yep. ones right but like i think a lot of those are pretty few and far between um and and ultimately my, my kind of view on on the monopoly monopoly scare around um uh, uh around this this particular acquisition seems more like kind of like knee-jerk reactions to general kind of apprehension around tech acquisitions and mergers and it is kind of like found in any sort of like real real really well-based concern about like you know the health of the gaming industry, um, like I don't like I don't I don't think this is particular. I don't think this is a, uh, an industry that's particularly prone to monopolization or particularly dangerous if with with large players. We've had large players in it for a while. Like I said, um, yep. first of all, I think I think one of the big like one of the bigger players is Tencent, and Tencent is like relatively recent, uh, at least a recent uh, and and entrant into like the kind of like um, I'm gonna say like not mainstream, but like kind of like traditional games demographic. Um, yeah, this reminds me a lot of when Disney bought Fox, and there were a lot of people who were kind of like, you know, crying the death knell of traditional movie, you know, like movie studios or whatever, right? And how it's really dangerous that Disney is sucking up, you know, the 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 IP or whatever. But, like, 
nobody gives credit to Netflix for breaking in to the industry, right? right? Or in, Studios, in a way, right? Like, uh, right? Yeah, like in a way, you could make the argument, and I would make the argument that the the appearance of Apple TV, you know, Amazon, uh, Amazon uh, Prime Studios. Um, Netflix, you know, the, these are companies who are entering that space. So the idea that Fox and Disney are now merged, they are now one company uh, when they used to be two, really isn't all that dangerous or shocking, right? Um, just because of, you know, the way in which uh, the, like media as a, yeah. as, a, as a whole has expanded to account for streaming companies. Yeah, like the, more pieces of the pie too, right? Like this is even like yep. thinking about something that's like fairly tangential, but like still related. It's like YouTube, right? Like, like streaming amateur video, like which anybody can do, right? Is a is is huge, right? It's it, it's enormous, and you know it's it's encroaching on that space too. I mean, nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody just wants to talk. And about it's it. being beaten up by TikTok, right? Yeah. You know, no. Now you have TikTok is the, even more amateur yeah. <laughs> short video beating out the previously shortest and amateurist of the video platforms. Oh man, yeah. All right, well, to bring it back to kind of like state of the industry stuff, I guess. Sure. Um, uh, uh, but do you see anything like how, how do you how do you feel like the rest of the industry is going to react to this, right? Because like again, this is like this is a huge acquisition. Um, do you do you, do you see anybody making moves in 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 relation? Do you think like one of my thoughts was like maybe Steam starts to produce its own streaming service? I don't see Steam acquiring any studios because they seem to be pretty hands off with that. But like. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe that becomes a little bit top of mind, you know. Maybe Epic pivots to do its own to, to do something a little bit more to like maybe acquire more studios instead of just paying for releases, stuff like that. Do you, do you have any thoughts? Um, my core thing is I think there, you know, I remember. So Microsoft said that they're they're going to make the first quadruple A game, right? That they that they're that the first quadruple A game is going to come out. Um, and I sort of think that what we're seeing is the creation of the quadruple a gaming publisher right we've sort of typically had triple a gaming publishers um you know we can name a bunch of them right but i think that now with tencent and with microsoft um and maybe in the future and i, I would also put amazon in here but i think they just suck at it um there are probably there's probably going to be a tier above the typical AAA producer, and I would not be surprised if typical AAA producers get gobbled up by this. Right? You know, Take Two is another example of this, but I think the biggest one is Square Enix. I think if if I'm putting money on something, I think Sony buys Square Enix at some point. Right? I can see that. Um, maybe you know, obviously they're both they're both Japanese companies. They've had very tight relations for years and years and years. Um, <coughs> Fourteen <coughs> is exclusive to the PlayStation. There's a lot of, you know, Final Fantasy exclusive uh, stuff on the PlayStation. I'm sure that they have just, like, a really great rapport. The one question is, like, is Sony as healthy a company as Microsoft? I feel like the answer is probably no. I mean, I know it's definitely one of the biggest companies in Japan, but I don't don't get the sense that Sony is making enough money off of its, like, I don't know, TVs, right, that it can, uh, that it can just pick up Square Enix out of the blue in the same way that Microsoft can just pick up Activision, um, but I feel like what, what we will see is the Bethesda's, the Take-Two's, the Square Enix's, you know, they will be slowly absorbed by these kind of quadruple-A publishers, um, and, uh, and we will kind of live in a world where, you know, I don't know, maybe Facebook buys EA 
or something or something kind of along those lines um and all of a sudden the triple a publisher or the triple a publisher kind of gets subsumed into this quadruple a state yeah yeah i i so that, that's that's an interesting point sorry i was, I was looking at it looks like sony's revenue is like 81 billion which is, is nothing to sneeze at it's about uh, half of what microsoft yeah, is yeah. so yeah like that that to me feels like I don't know what is what is. What I'm is also Square saying 2.37 trillion, but maybe that's like yuan, which seems. Uh, yeah, no, it's got to be 81. Uh, yeah, but anyway, to your point, I think. Wow. Yeah. See. Okay. So Square Enix's uh, revenue is 332 billion, which is 2.8 billion dollars. Like that seems to be like I, you know. There's clear there's a clear order of magnitude between Sony and between Square Enix, and I would not be surprised if Square Enix gets scooped up. So so the thing that popped in my mind is like, can Sony like acquire Nintendo? Which would be which would be <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be that would be crazy. I Nintendo definitely does feel like it is up for grabs though, right? because um, it is is exactly what it's exactly in the space that I'm talking about. You have Nintendo, um, Ubisoft, you know, maybe you have sort of these like double two triple A publishers, Paradox, for instance. Instance. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Paradox got picked up uh, by by somebody in the next couple of years, just because it feels like they are a pretty healthy and growing company all over. Yeah, yeah. Nintendo looks like it's fifteen billion thousand million. Yeah, fifteen billion uh, in revenue, which is you that's know, quite a lot, actually. It is, but it's so. nothing to sneeze at, right? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely acquirable, right? Like, it's within mm. it's within somebody's grasp if somebody want, really wanted to, to go out there. Yeah, if Mark Zuckerberg wants to cut a deal, I'm sure, like, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he could buy Nintendo for yeah. the fucking metaverse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so... What a cursed thought. There might be some things in there that would prevent that from happening, just kind of like, you know, Japanese, Japanese cultural mores, right? Like, Yeah, Like, absolutely. I don't think they get acquired by a company that isn't Japanese, because um, I just don't think they'd, they'd, they'd be like, no, I don't care. We're not, we're, we're not letting Zuckerberg... Acquire it because he is not a good style of Japanese company, right? Like, um, yep. their government not, might not even let them. I can see that happening. Yeah, I, it is worth noting that, you know, when these big acquisitions have been made, they have been made in sort of moments of weakness, right? Yeah. Bobby Kodak has this gigantic scandal, and that's when uh, Phil Spencer's like, oh. Look at you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, the same thing happened with Take Two because they also had a huge, gigantic crunch uh, scandal. Uh, not last year. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was early last year. But just around the, the production of Grand Theft Auto, right? Like they were the centerpiece of the crunch is bad, actually, you know, controversy, right? Um, and uh, what was the other big one? Oh, Bethesda. Yeah, well, Bethesda, the guy died. Robert Trump I can't died. remember the. Yeah, he died. He died. You know, and so it's it's like all of a sudden, okay, well, like these are companies that you could see getting sold off, right? Um, but I don't get the sense that like Nintendo is a weak enough company yeah. that it is it is in a position where somebody could leverage them for a buyout like that. Yeah, if that was gonna happen, that would have happened during the Wii U period, right? They're very strong during the Switch period. Um, yeah, but um, un, un unwinding uh, a bit. Um, to your point about AAA versus quadruple A, I've always thought, like, I think what that's going to be is, is maybe more of a formalization of a, of a separation that I think was already there, which is kind of like AAA versus kind of like 2.5A is going to get, like, just stretched out again, right? Because, like, something like Dark Souls, right, retails at full price, but is also significantly less polished than something like, you know, a Call of Duty. 
Um, and so like, yeah, I get that. Like, I feel like, like the range of AAA is going to like, is going to spread and like move a little bit differently. And then quadruple, like, I think, I think you could call Call of Duty a, a quadruple A title right now if you really wanted to. But I think like you definitely call it that with, with the Microsoft iteration. And I think that you, you know, because it's effectively a marketing term at that point, you have people calling them quadruple A's regardless of like what, what real difference there is there. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Like to me, I feel like, you know, you have, you have, a single A or an, or an indie publisher should be like me, like Akupara, yeah. right? Then you have a double A publisher and that's something like Devolver or Paradox sits in this world. There's also a couple of other ones in here that are at that level, right? But like you might not necessarily have heard of them, right? Maybe Tiny Build is in there, for instance. Um, then I think you have the traditional AAA, right? You got, you know. Capcom. And this doesn't even have to be the big one. This is, yeah, exactly. Capcom, Capcom Ubisoft, you know, all, a bunch there's a bunch of these right sega is in here um and then to me there is that quadruple a level which is where you get microsoft you know or well like, i think you know, abk would like, have been there like before this anyway right like yeah yeah well yeah, yeah that's true right um it's just like the 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 top end of the triple a feels like it is its own category at yeah. this point right you know it was not weird when activision bought blizzard for instance or bought king um and all of a sudden they it is it is now activision blizzard you know king right um or even you know there are other examples of this but i, I can't think of any off the top of my head of just like you know big giant mergers between publishing you know like game publishing companies you know obviously squaresoft and enix turning into square enix is another example of this but that was that was like 20 I mean, years ago at this like point like ea has been like like acquiring and killing companies for decades right like that's like yeah that's true game, right? yeah bioshock not bioshock um bioware and like midway and respawn right like all which like kind of sort of exist now in like zombie forms of what they were um uh so you know it's it's not like this is like super unusual it just hasn't hasn't happened as rapidly right like microsoft has really made a strong play in the past couple of years yeah uh, just like looking at it the number of ea acquisitions uh it far outstrips the number of microsoft ac acquisitions right the number of microsoft ac acquisitions was like us like a block of a huge page of all of the things they've acquired it's just this one tiny subcategory but ea has like they've acquired a lot of stuff over the years they really wanted to you know um to pick up a bunch of stuff right PopCap, who the 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 plants versus zombies people respawn um industrial toys is actually kind of uh is actually kind of a big one they're a mobile game uh producer um you know metalhead software was recent i don't know who that is but you know, it's just like it feels like they are constantly, you know, going out and picking up um, these game development studios to to kind of like add to their umbrella. Yeah, so Metalhead is based in Vancouver. Oh, they make EA Sports. They uh, are they make the baseball games apparently. Super Mega Baseball. Huh. Interesting. Super Mega Baseball. Yeah, that's it's 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 not like real baseball. It's not like licensed baseball. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cartoony uh, baseball. Interesting. Um, but, yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, because EA Sports just, yeah. So, yeah, it's not that, like, but, like, the, the difference is EA ha EA's picked up some big, you know, big movers like Bioware, right? But, like, mm -hmm. nothing at the level of, like, a ZeniMax. Because, like, it wasn't just Bethesda, right? It was all of ZeniMax, right? Which yep, is, that like, included Arcane, who was the studio behind, most recently, Deathloop. Deathloop and but Dishonored. Yeah. Dishonored is the thing they're famous for, right? Um, 
It also included more stuff. I can't remember who else is in the ZeniMax. Well, ZeniMax uh, is Elder Scrolls Online, ZeniMax Studios. Um, yeah. So that, well, that got, was the, that was the, they they made that entirely for uh, uh, Elder Scrolls. Like they created the ZeniMax Studio to make the Elder Scrolls. Yeah. That wasn't an acquisition of theirs. Oh right, right, right. Well, I mean, because the, oh, id. That is, the, oh, I was id, like, right, I was like, there's yeah. another one. They, yeah. So they they picked up id at some point. Well, id, um, id was under ZeniMac. Oh yeah, yes, yes. ZeniMac picked. Yeah, up yeah, id. yeah. That's what I mean to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, but picking up Bethesda is actually kind of uh, is kind of like a bigger deal, just because it had all of these like little you know kind of component pieces. I would actually expect that Ubisoft also would work that way, but Ubisoft tends to like rebrand everything to a different version of Ubisoft, right? There's Ubisoft Montreal, there's the Ubisoft offices in France, whatever they're called. I think those are um, the, 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 those are the primary ones. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like <coughs> and they have like different, you know, different spots, right? I think the Assassin's Creed games come out of Ubisoft Montreal, um but then there are other Ubisoft games that come out of um different different other sort of like locations around the world, but all of that stuff gets rebranded as uh Ubisoft. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's I, just something that occurred to me is like Bethesda and Epic were both based in the Maryland area while we were at Hopkins. Um, like apparently, really? yeah, well, so, so. Well, Epic is from New North Carolina now, or they the, are based so in North Carolina now. Tim Sweeney came and talked, uh, in, in Baltimore, like our freshman year. Um, hmm. yeah, I think, I think he might have talked to the AC. I don't remember if. He came to the ACM directly, but there was definitely a talk downtown that a bunch of people went to that he was talking at. Because Epic Games sure. was still important. It just wasn't, you know, Fortnite important um, uh, at that point in time. And Bethesda, Bethesda was based in Bethesda, Maryland, right? Like, that, that's why um, that's why the Fallout 3 map is, like, you know, so true to, true to the, the capital area, right? Like, Yep. Um, uh, so, you know, in, interesting that, like, there's, like, a bunch of stuff in that, in that kind of... Um, that kind of part of the country, which you don't normally think of as being associated with game stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, we said there's going to be state of the industry mostly focused on this Activision Blizzard thing because we didn't think we could fill a whole hour about the Activision Blizzard Yeah, thing. we didn't. We were like, I don't think we could fill a whole hour on this, which to be fair, we branched off into a lot of other pieces. And the last thing that I want to mention, obviously, is just like indie games, right? Because this is the thing yeah. that I'm closest to the ground on. And I don't remember if we ever talked about this, but... It feels as though indie games are growing every single year, which makes plenty of sense. Um, the thing that I think was interesting about indie games that was predicted by the extra credits people um, was uh, it was the idea that when gaming um, became a college thing, that people go to college and they learn game design, right? That that was going to fuel this huge explosion of indie games because that's what happened in film, right? You had... Um, in like the seventies, or actually more early than that, in the sixties, film schools kind of crop up, and film gets like this thing, and then all of a sudden now you have all all of these filmmakers spilling out into the world, and independent films became a bigger and bigger deal as just like the industry had to compensate for that expansion, and I feel like we're kind of in the middle of that when it comes to when it comes to indie games um, coming out and being bigger and sort of, like, better than ever. Um, the interesting thing about indie games is that some of them will always blow up, and the ones that do are just, like, insane. You know, like, if you imagine Among Us, right, the studio that made Among Us must have 
just an insane amount of money right now because of how hard that game blew up overnight, right? And in a world where you are, you're, or Supergiant is, is another great example of this because they sold that many copies of, of Hades. It's like, well, yeah, fucking a 20-person company. That's going to be gigantic, right? <laughs> you know? Um, but, I, but there's a lot of success in the margins that I don't think people quite realize um, or are necessarily like paying attention to. I have a weird window into this because I pay attention to a lot of Total War YouTubers, but the Total War YouTubers will like expose me to this entirely separate side of the industry, right? That I'm paying practically zero attention to, but it's actually kind of fucking huge, right? Like city builders and management simulations are just like this gigantic piece of the gaming puzzle um, that isn't really well uh, established or talked about, right? There, there isn't a ton of um, uh, interest in that sort of thing when it comes to sort of like your typical gaming platforms. But like, yeah, there are there are plenty of uh, companies and games coming out in this. <laughs> Are you laughing at the water bottle? Yeah, for, for, for folks at home, I just took a gigantic sweet. Is that thing a gallon? It, it is, is huge. It is. What the fuck? <laughs> you have a gallon of water next to your desk? You, 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 know, you know why I, uh, I, I I got this? Is it because of Josh? It's because of Josh. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't oh. use the conversation. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh my god, that's fucking funny. Oh my god, I'm dying. Oh, I'm dying. That was so big. Oh, whoo! So okay. Oh, what were we talking about? Oh my god. Uh, Indie games or something? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, there's just like there's there's so many pockets and corners to gaming, right? Where a game can come out and make a quarter of a million dollars and that is enough to feed your family for a couple of years, right? While you work on while you work on a sequel and then the sequel is is going to come up and it's going to be just as, you know, just as successful, right? Um, you know, a game that I was paying a little bit of attention to recently um was uh god what is it called expeditions rome right is this new historical tactics rpg that's coming out right um and apparently it's the third it's the third in a series that i've just never fucking heard of right and it's the the it's the expedition series but these games are really successful um and it's just like no i no one in my whole life has ever mentioned to me oh do you have you ever played the expedition series or whatever but like there's three of them, and it's because you know indie games are kind of are kind of fucking thriving, I guess. Yeah, so. I mean it's easy to publish, right? Like you can publish on, yeah. um, and it's kind of like you know, like there are boutique indie publishers like Akupara, like um, yep. like you know Devolver, um, and a handful of others like ti like you said Tiny Builds, right? Like yeah, um, I mean you know we we are part of a, a group called the Indie Houses, which is seven different publishers. You know, among them is like White Thorn. Uh, they used to be, I think they're Whitethorn Games. They used to be Whitethorn Digital. Um, Toga Productions, who are out of Indonesia, who we know really well, and we and they, they do Coffee Talk is the is like the game that people recognize from them. Um, the fellow traveler guys, the fellow traveler guys really focus on uh, indie narrative experiences, right? So you know, like that's their big thing is that they only publish like really story forward games, and all of their fans are kind of aligned in this like we just want to play like the best kind of story experiences, right? Um, 
Raw Fury is another example. There's just there's a million of these, right? Yeah. Um, we could we could name them all day, but I I just think that you know if you're the kind of gamer, even if you're the kind of gamer that listens to this podcast and l- l- hears me talk about Warcraft every week because it's the g- it's the big game that I'm playing a lot of. Um, I actually think that uh, that there's just like a lot more to the industry than people than people realize, um, just because. There's, it's a big tent. <laughs> There's room for a lot of people. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. Not, not much else you can, uh, like, yeah. Like, and, you know, that's that's great. That's what makes the, the hobby so compelling, right? It's like you can go from, like, playing, I don't know, what was I playing? You know, playing, playing like, Grime uh, to playing something like uh, World of Warcraft, which is, you know, 14 years old and, like, knows it. Uh, but, yeah, um, that's about the end of our hour. Buddy, uh, how was your week? You know, that's a good question. I played a full work week of Factorio. That's what I did all week. Every day, Rachel came home and we played so much fucking Factorio that by the end of the week, we had a, a new fo- a new save file with 40 hours in it. And I was like, oh my God, I worked a week in Factorio. <laughs> I hope. Have you, you ever have you ever played Factorio? I know I've talked about it on the podcast, but have you ever actually played Factorio? I played it okay. right around the 1.0 release uh, for a while. Okay, yeah, so that's why we came back to it, was because it had come out in 1.0. We wanted to see the difference. Because we had played the game maybe two years ago, but it was still in early access, and um, and it was not, you know, it was mostly feature complete at that point, right? Like, there was a whole tree and everything, but they, they just kept adding uh, new stuff over the years, and they changed some, some stuff. I, I was surprised that it was basically the same that i remember like a lot of my memory for oh how did we make this thing was the exact same right you know when we wanted to get to um uh when we wanted to get to uh robots for instance robots had the exact same you know recipe as before um but there was some new stuff you know like there was nuclear power stuff that was that was different also when i played you had to do a thing with oil that was very different um the way that you you did oil back then was you had to make a barrel and then in an assembler you pumped oil into the barrel and then you took that barrel and it was an item that you could move between chests and stuff and you put the barrel on your train and then your train went back to the barrel and then it went into assemblers where it dumped out the oil into a fluid system which was a way more complicated version of now there's just pumps and a fluid wagon of, that is a, that is a tank, and you just pump the oil into a tank and pump it back out of a tank. Um, so stuff like that. But it is just such a good game to like really get like lost uh, lost into. Um, and I don't really have anything more complicated than that. What? <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, as for my week, I played some Guilty Gear Strive uh, for fun. I mean, I, why else would, would you play it? Um, but it's you know it's still as great as ever. Weirdly enough, I haven't, like, I have, I didn't really, I haven't been playing any of the DLC characters, which are, like, uh, Happy Chaos and uh, Gold Lewis and um, uh, Valentine, uh, or Jacko, not, not Valentine, Jacko. Um, and there's a new one coming out, too, Biken. Um, but I haven't really seen them being played either, right? Like, it's not like I've had any matches against them, which is interesting, because, like, you know, I can't really get used to them if I don't uh, play against them. But I know that, like, I know Happy Chaos is supposed to be pretty strong. He's got a gun, um, and basically his, his, his is uh game plan is um it doesn't like you have to like do moves to like increase the accuracy or something i don't quite understand i need to go blab him just to understand what the mechanic is but like apparently he's pretty powerful um but it's been it's been a a good time 
Um, I've also, so past couple of weeks, which you've missed out on, which has been disappointing, we've been playing uh, Crusader Kings. Um, this week went a lot better than last week, where last week I, um, I accidentally, like, died from cancer within the first 10 minutes and, like, dissolved the Hunga- or the Bulgarian Empire uh, into the Byzantine <laughs> Empire. Uh, much to everybody's chagrin. Uh, we played in, we played the, the later start, the 1167 start, maybe? Um, and we, okay. we played in France. Um, I played as, like, a tiny little, little count. Um, and then we all variously played different things. This is like right around when like William the Conqueror starts doing his thing. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a ton of fun. Unfortunately, a uh, friend of the cast, Nick got kind of like, uh, unceremoniously crapped on by this like circumstances. Um, <laughs> and was he in that position? I've been in this position before where you're playing in the online game and <clears throat> where you're playing in the online game and you just get you're getting destroyed by rng and the ai but like you can't leave the game because everyone else is having a good time even though you're fucking miserable was that was that nick's experience he held on for a little while and then he then he was like i'm, I'm done and he and, and he uh, and he he dropped out um because so what happened was my heart goes out to you nick i i've been there he got he got deposed and so he was playing as like a, a count of like a single like he got he went from the duke to the count state okay and then he like attempted a um an independence war and like he didn't account for something or like um maybe there was like a simultaneous fight with with william the conqueror like because he was the neighbor to him and just like totally screwed him out of that war too he's like well fuck and he's like i can't do this anymore (laughs) and he uh and and he dropped um uh but you know part of that kind of thing is like i get it right and so um, I don't know how much TK3 you've played, but the hot joining is really great, right? Like, like when I, I died out in the game last week, like, I, I game over, I could just pick somebody else and go for it, right? Because you're not, like, playing Iron Man or anything. That is really that is a really awesome feature. Yeah. And, and I think is, like, one of the cool things. Or, like, one of our one, one of our friends, a uh, friend of the cast, uh, John, um, he had to, like, drop to, like, go eat dinner. And he went and ate dinner, and he came back, and he just hot joined again. And he picked his player again. It was, it was, it was, it was you know, relatively seamless. It's great. Um, was he mad because the AI fucked up his uh, that that happened to us with Stellaris games right like if somebody isn't there to play the Stellar the the AI will play your your empire for a little bit and then you come back into it you're like what the fuck <laughs> you, you know what the AI did with his with his uh, with his empire with his country oh my god what happened he attacked Nick this is what started <laughs> 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 oh, no. this is what started Nick's downward spiral <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> That is honestly one of the funniest things. That is like the perfect story for one of these like Crusader Kings nights. Oh my god, holy shit! Yeah, no, it's, it, it was uh, uh, it was super fun, and I hope one of these nights you can join us because you know it's it's fun to just like chill out and like you know, uh, you know, conquer you know, conquer some stuff, do some stuff, you know, maybe start declaring some crusades at some point, right? You know? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I uh, so a friend of mine uh, like went to therapy recently um and uh and her therapist and and her thing is she has like a ton of side hustles right you know like she has like she has like a day job but basically any you know like any anything else that she does in her free time is like an etsy store or right like it is it is something that she has turned into a a a gig essentially and her therapist was like you need to find a hobby that you can't monetize you know (laughs) because like it's just stressing you the fuck out because you take all of the things that are supposed to be relaxing you turn them into fucking work (laughs) and so her thing is um 
is she's getting back into she's getting back into wow which i was like that's the perfect hobby right for this kind of just to you know to do something to watch number go up to feel oh good job i completed a quest you know like i completed this little this little goal or whatever right um and i think that i think that uh you know crusader kings or factorial right like all of these hit in that exact same place right the thing that was just like electric about factorio when rachel and i started playing was just like the because the core of that game is like building out the bottom of the production tree right there's always a bigger issue there's like oh well i now i need to make more circuits ah but my circuits are making are consuming too much copper let me go redo my whole copper intake system it's like mm, i'm gonna have to add on 10 more you know steel furnaces to keep up with production or whatever it's just like it, it is this constantly expanding kind of fluid goal and then completion of goal loop that is just like so addicting right um then it makes for then it makes for like a perfect sunday yeah no that makes that makes perfect sense to me um <coughs> in, me. in addition to playing uh guilty gear um and the other stuff uh i watched two movies i watched uh uh Pupel of chimney town which is like a japanese children's movie it's like a like the 3D. It's like an anime style, but like the 3D anime style, and it's it's got a unique look to it. Um, it's a like I said, it's, it's very through and through children's movie, but it's very charming and very um, uh, you know, it's good for what it is. Like I wouldn't like race out to see it again, but like you know, if you have a kid or like a nephew that wants to see something charming and doesn't mind reading subtitles, Propel of Chimney Town's pretty good. Um, and I also saw the Last Duel. Which was an interesting movie. Um, it basically—I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to. I know it just hit HBO Max that's, over this the weekend. Is, I think this is why we we watched it. Um, my my brother was up to visit me, um, and uh, he was he wanted to watch it, so we sat down and we watched it. Um, uh, just this kind of like light, no spoilers stuff is like you know, um, it's kind of uh, a Rashomon style story about um, about what is his what it was historically known as the last duel it wasn't technically the last one but it was the, like the last one of the era of the era of duels um and it centers around a duel over the alleged rape of um the the movie's uh main female character um and i thought it was i thought it was all right it did some interesting stuff um but i also thought that it went on a little bit long i thought it was a little bit long in the tooth um um I don't think it, like I wouldn't say it was bad, but like, and if you want to watch it, I would say go ahead. And, I wouldn't say avoid it, but I don't think I'll be watching it again. Um, the the comparison, I like the comparison that I made in my head is like, I don't know if I think it's a worse movie than Matrix Resurrections, but I would watch Matrix Resurrections again, and I would not watch this mm -hmm. movie again. Um, okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, um, and like, um, there are some fight scenes, and the fight scenes are really well done. Um, it's not the main thrust of the movie, but you know it's it's medieval combat and it feels real medieval um so you know uh but uh, i you know soft recommendation like you know take it or leave it i guess if you if you've got a night and you want to watch something on hbo max you could do worse um uh, yeah i feel like i've been watching a lot of stuff recently um you know like there was a while where i was trolling through yeah do you ever think about like the simpsons this, this, like, occurred to me the other day. Like, The Simpsons has been going on for 30 years. Like, The Simpsons is as old as I am. <laughs> uh, I, you, yeah, I, I guess not. Okay, no, I think sorry. about that. <laughs> but, like, because uh, I was watching American Dad, 
right? Which came out in 2005, right? It came out during the Bush administration and was making fun of that era of conservatism. But like eventually American Dad kind of, right, um, came into its own as a like broader sort of like pop culture parody. Um, you know, they would do these riff episodes that were on, you know, like that was like, uh, like one episode that they did was the, it was a war it was a Vietnam War movie, but the idea was that it was a Vietnam War reenactment, but it was structured and shot essentially like, you know, Rambo or Full Metal Jacket or Apocalypse Now or any of those movies, right? And that's the that's the court joke, right? <clears throat> but um and so I think it fits pretty neatly in. We've talked about this with like 30 Rock community, these kind of irreverent, like hyper real, not quite reality and willing to sort of like bend the rules of reality to sort of comment on like genre fiction itself. Right. It's it is deeply entrenched in that version of things or whatever. Um, and I just and I as I entered the 15th season, I was just like, holy fucking shit. There are a lot of episodes of this t television show. Um and then I also watched all of Gracie and Frankie because I haven't I hadn't finished Grace and Frankie and uh, and they made a new season and that show continues to befuddle me but in a very interesting and fun way because it is a show about old people and very much for old people like it is a sitcom that is making fun of like problems that old people face and make these whole episodes out of conflicts that I just cannot in my in my entire world empathize with right like there's one episode where both grace and frankie throw out their backs trying to get one another up off the ground um and are just stuck on the floor like crawling around the house and i'm sure if i was an old man i would find this in incredibly funny um but i was just like along for that ride uh <laughs> and so that, that that's the kind of stuff that I've been that I've been like watching recently. Oh, alongside Westworld, we talked about this um, because the new season of Westworld is coming up at some point. Something that I thought was really interesting was um, the television and film critic at Vox, um, Emily Vanderwerf, I think is her name. It published an article about like the decline of the mystery box television show, um, of which Westworld is like firmly among the number, which is like these television shows that essentially exist to be like little puzzles for people on Reddit to solve and theorize about and oh what's what's gonna what's happening next, what's coming what's coming up next or whatever. Um, and uh, and about how the most recent, season of a show called yellow jackets or i think the first season of a show called yellow jackets is uh kind of subverting that because there are mysteries to the show but the mysteries are just what they are on their face there's no trickery it's not trying to it's not trying to make some mystery for you to solve and decipher it is just you know the person who seems pretty sketchy turned out to be the bad guy right the reason that somebody does this thing is the reason that they say in the first episode that kind of a thing um which i thought was interesting because like i feel like for a while you know um game of thrones was like this westworld is like this lost is probably the first of these which are just these like shows i don't know maybe the first of these is the x files right which has a whole you know underpinning plot about a conspiracy regarding aliens in the in the U, you know the united states government i just feel like that stuff is um i don't know yeah i think i think i think part of that has died because you know we've we've moved on to like entire seasons getting dumped at once right like so it's not the week to week kind of like around the water cooler discussion of what's happening right because like are you like the, the earliest one of these would maybe be um 
uh, Twin Peaks, right? Like, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, I think maybe the first iteration of this is Dallas. Be, mm-hmm. do you, do you, like, do you know Dallas who, who shot Jr. Yeah. Right? Like, that's obviously a famous thing, right? Um, they they ended on this cliffhanger and. Um, Everybody talked about the, it all summer. And everybody who talked about it all summer because they wanted to figure out who shot JR, right? That was in 1980, I think. Yeah, but that's also, like, not the show, right? That was just, like, the season-ending cliffhanger. Um, yeah. Which had, I think, slightly wider adoption. You know, like, you know, kind of, like, come back next season for whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, oh, um, kind of uh, along lines of, like, shows with a lot of episodes, I finished Dirty Rock because um, I didn't realize how did you enjoy did you did you think it ended well I thought it ended fine I didn't think it was bad um, you know uh, uh, I had seen the ending scene before and I hadn't realized it um, just because like, what is what is the ending scene I'm sorry Alec Baldwin going out on his yacht for like 30 seconds and then like he has an idea and she, like he's like I'm out to sail until I figure out my next thing right um, and then, like, he, he, he leaves port, and then, like, 30 seconds later, he just shouts at Liz Lemon, you know, dishwashers that are transparent so you can see what's happening inside. And he comes back in. Like, <laughs> 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 and that's, like, and that's, and then, like, it goes into kind of, like, an epilogue um, with, uh, uh, with him at GE and her having um, kids who are, uh, you know, mirrors of uh, Jenna and... Uh, Tracy, and uh, and then it go then it then it does the um, Saint Elmo's thing, I think it's Saint Elmo's. Uh, the, uh, the you know the, the the snow globe thing, and it zooms out, and it's Liz Lemon's granddaughter pitching Thirty Rock to Kenneth Parcells, who has been hinted at over the course of the show being immortal. To be immortal, yeah, um, yeah. That's <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that is that was Saint Elmo's right where it's all in the. There, there was a website that was famous, um, that was made by a famous comics writer, Dwayne McDuffie, um, or maybe it wasn't made by him, but he talked about it, that, like, every, it's, like, everything in Tim something's head. God, what is it? Now I want to know. Well, it's because, uh, it's because that, that show had a bunch of crossovers, right, and so you could cross over out, and then that show turns out to be in the imagination of, like, the, of the, of the, the mentally challenged kid, um, um. Fuck, what the fuck is it? Tommy Westfall is his name. Everything in Tommy Westfall's head. Because um, there is a... Yeah, okay, yeah. And then the Tommy Westfall universe, which was postulated by Dwayne McDuffie, who's a very famous comics writer. Um, he's like the guy that made like Static Shock, for instance. Um, and he made a huge, gigantic web. By the way, the, the, the thing is Saint Elsewhere, apparently. Um, he made this huge, gigantic web of all of these TV shows that are in the Tommy Westfall um crossover universe uh because like you know like characters from law and order will cross over to characters from the wire and the character in the wires now and you know like all of these other things right, because uh, saint elsewhere was at a time when you would have a lot of crossovers and so like they crossed over and then like you know those shows have their own crossovers right and so like the, the web kind of goes ever outwards yeah, so an example of the co- crossover is St. Elsewhere characters Dr. Roxanne Turner and Dr. Victor Ehrlich appeared on Homicide Life on the Street, which is uh, the, the show that, uh, what's that guy's name? David Simon? Um, made before he made The Wire. And then characters from Homicide Life on the Street cross over into The Wire and into Law and Order because 
Law and Order creator Dick Wolf is friends with um, uh, whoever, another guy. And so it's just like all of that stuff will blossom out into a million things. So everything is taking place inside of Tommy Westfall's head. <laughs> that reminded me of like a great joke from from uh, from 30 Rock, which is like Kenneth being like, you can't say things like Dick Wolf on, t- on television. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Lou points out it's Detective Munch that, that crosses over. Um, oh, my God. I forgot about chat. I haven't looked at chat all day. Yeah, uh, Lou is Detective been... Munch, my favorite SVU detective. Yeah. Uh, uh, shit TV fan. Uh, I think I think <laughs> Munch had like a relatively small part in The Wire. I, I have not watched The Wire, so uh, feel free. You haven't watched The Wire? No. God, you lived, in, you lived in Baltimore. I know. And you must have heard that fucking constantly. I did, because apparently... Like I went, I, I walked out of uh, the liquor store on Charles Street, and uh, one of uh, one of one of uh, a friend said that I like that like the female lead was in there. This is like right at the height of it too. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the wire is kind of like a loose recreation of homicide life on the streets, right? Like oh. homicide is a dir- is not a direct uh, like one to one, but it is a mostly like straightforward procedural like police procedural right um and then the wire is a procedural that is like lightly that is like fictionalized but they are they are from the same source material of uh you know baltimore being being terrible yeah 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 (laughs) hold on now i want to now i want to like look at this okay yeah 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 yeah. okay so the series was based on david simon's book homicide a year on the killing streets right so the homicide life on the street is um is based on that book. And then David Simon would then go on to um, uh, be the showrunner on The Wire, right? So he sort of fictionalized his own book uh, to explain, I guess, that whole interaction. Well, um, but yeah, that uh, I think that's all the big things I did with, uh, with my week. Um, yeah, I mean, I played some D and D, but I do that every week now, which has been fun. Pathfinder Two E is pretty great. Um, oh, that's some big news. Mark Seifert is leaving pa- Paizo for uh, for uh, Roll for Combat, which is like now like a third party um, publisher that's they're doing like um, it's called the Battles of Bestiary for uh, one for five, like it's got versions for five E and PF Two E, um, but he's gonna be like one of their like creative leads. Um, and he's going to freelance for Paizo. So that's uh, Wow, I did not know that. That is actually kind of nuts. I mean, Paizo had its own. Were you tracking any of that stuff with Paizo? Yeah, Paizo <laughs> they had, had their own sort of. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there was, a, there was a huge thing about that um, that I dug into more for the drama than anything else. Yeah. I was just down, you know, because there were a lot of people who were like ex-collaborators of Paizo that had since like left the company who kind of came out and... Um, and talked about kind of the high level editorial team being like shitty to you know like shitty to work with or whatever. Yeah, yeah I, that's insane. Wow. I, I know. I know that like in kind of his like goodbye post on the Paizo forums, he was like, "There'll be less crunch at battles or you know at, at roll for combat." Um, although apparently that's that that company is basically like living off of the creators' savings for the time being. Like it is not like it, it's the first product is is coming out, but like it is and it got kickstarted. But there's you know. They're not like you know rolling yet, so there's only so long I can go. Interesting, on for. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I think that's everything I had. You want to talk about anything else before we get out of here? Do I want to talk about anything else before we get out of here? Not really. We have we have raids soon. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I don't know, man. What? What? I, I, have, I have nothing else I'm talking about. This is the state of the industry. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to email us about your thoughts about anything we talked about today, um, whether that's the state of the industry or the ABK merger or the ABK Microsoft merger or um, any other things we talked about, this podcast, you should send games at gmail.com or podcast at simdirtsplaygames.com. You'll follow us on twitch.tv, games where these shows go out live and you can watch me drink out of giant water bottles live. Um, and uh, rate review us on iTunes, anywhere you find podcasts. Do all the stuff. The links are in the description. That's everything I have. But do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, you know, I have nothing else I'm looking to promote this week. Well, in that, kind, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>